Wait, so Alan, you just got your first shipment just uh, got from Can, right? Shipment. I love when something <laughs> comes to my door and I I'm just like, put, they're chilled. I have the blood, blood orange. Um, Part of mom. And cranberry sage. I what are you going to start with? Which one are you going to start with? Well, I love a mint green, so I might start mm. with the cranberry sage. However, yellow is my favorite color because Gail King. Do <laughs> do do the do the do the sage. Do the start with the sage. I okay, think that's I'll that one's my favorite. Sage. I swear okay. to you, I am loving these. They are delicious. Can, delicious. Can just go to drinkcan.com, mm -hmm. uh, enter the promo code worse for 25% off your first order. They're such like a mild like THC hit. You yeah. get a little bit of a buzz. Mm, uh, I love the buzz. They're delicious. Like, you don't even like, taste it. They're delicious, and they're like thirty calories. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. I mean, my ass is getting smaller drinking it. That's how great they are. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Let's see, Alan. Let's see. Hold on. Hold on. Show us. Oh, oh see, Alan. I, Alan, I wasn't serious. Good lord. <laughs> right, Go to well, drinkcan.com, twenty-five percent right. off, and use the code worse. Did we say can with two ends? Welcome to your Making It Worse. We're here, we're queer, who cares? I'm Elliot Glazer. And I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. Textual healing. Well, um, so there was a there was kind of big news, um, quote unquote big news uh, out this week. I say quote unquote because it's actually not particularly interesting, but still. Um, <laughs> It's interesting enough for us to talk about yeah, at for least. Sure, I hope. For sure. No, no. No. No, there was a there was a there was a Gallup study that was done that showed a record 5.6% of US adults identify as LGBTQ. Coming for our gig. Um, contrary to what Alan has previously argued on the podcast, which is that I believe 95% of the country is LGBTQ. Yes. yes. Something he said in the past. Yeah. And really, that's a significant bump from their 2017 results, which showed 4.5% of the population identified as LGBTQ. And that's because young people are driving the numbers. How do they factor in people who just like, or the factor of people just feeling more comfortable to identify as LGBTQ? So like... So in 2017, there were just as many, just more people feel comfortable identifying it as it now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, sure. I mean, I, I think that's a perfectly fair assessment, which is like, do you, do we genuinely believe that the biology of people in the last yeah. five years has changed? <laughs> no, yeah. I think it's a reflection of more openness um, mm. towards the LGBTQIA community. Plus, and, you forgot that. Plus, it's very important. Oh, how dare you? Um, <laughs> But it's actually, it's, it's really interesting and it's really driven by the community, the B in the LGBT that everyone ignores the most. Bisexuals are the big reason why the numbers have increased so much. Yeah. Uh, also Elliot's kryptonite. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to Gen Z, when Gen yeah. Z is identified as 18 to 23, 16% um, identify as LGBTQ. Um, so that's like one in six people, one in six Gen Zers identifies wow. as LGBTQ. Wow. Uh, whereas <clears throat> only 2% of people 55 and older identify as LGBTQ. Huh. Uh, yeah. Does that mean they, they, does that mean that, that they're like closeted? Well, yeah. I mean, they're yeah. definitely, there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of LGBTQ, you know, 55 and up people. Right. It's just that. 
their learned experiences or circumstances don't allow them to mentally identify that way because of mm. how they grew up or their society right. yeah. or their safety reasons or whatever. There's a lot of them in, in, in Palm Springs outside of that. I don't think they really exist, right? I don't think Palm Springs is fascinating to me because people like, I, I always am like, it didn't all, it wasn't always this sort of gay bastion yeah. of fun. It was actually a Republican playground yeah. for Hollywood. Like it's where like Reagan's and shit went to party. And then when Spiro AIDS Agnew hit, moved there. Yes. Yeah. And when AIDS hit, then they started re and people were dying in the community. They were like, oh, fuck, there's a lot of gay people here. And then the, pe the, the Republicans started to kind of move out and the gay people kind of swooped in and took it over. And now it's this great gay backyard like, to Los Angeles. There's like literally like a, a senior retirement community for LGBT people there, if not yeah. more than one. Mm. Yeah. We have one I... in Los Angeles too, a great one. In that. Yeah, God, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that idea. Where, where is it? Where is it located? The one in Los Angeles is in Hollywood near Hollywood and Vine. It's right by, um, you know, where Amoeba, the street that Amoeba is on, it's, it's on that street. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, that's where Elliot spends all the time, kind of hanging around. Yeah, the corners <laughs> yeah. And everything. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever yeah. you I, see I've someone sort Elliot. of like jerking in an alley, it's Elliot. <laughs> it's usually yeah. Elliot. I've yeah. I've actually noticed that. But yeah. um, <laughs> back to the back to the Gen Z. Seventy-two percent of Gen Zers identify. Uh, that is seventy-two uh, percent of that sixteen percent of Gen Zers who identifies LGBTQ are bisexual. So yeah. bisexuals are really driving this this. But surge. how many of them are like? tween like straight men who are like mm, i'm gonna get more tiktok views if i act gay yeah like, i mean I, yeah. I, was, I was thinking i was like thinking the same thing as like like it's so it's just i can't believe how like how much it's changed in can you imagine like, a kid in your class years in high school i mean you know brent was in high school like four years ago so he's different from us right. but elliot I and i can you imagine back. when we were in high school someone acting gay but yet wasn't queer at all no not get, not not in to the, be popular no not in the slightest the idea of like someone like reveling in that and being playful in that way and not getting ostracized is it's just astounding i don't know astounding yeah, yeah i don't know i really i was talking to my sister about this and we were like yes we come from a very uh sort of hetero or you know, Italian area that's very macho. But on top of all that, I think for our generation, for like millennials, the the late nineties and the early aughts before like Queer Eye broke through were mm. so deeply homophobic. Like it was so bad yeah. to be seen as gay or even bi, yeah. uh, especially with the younger you were. So it's just a wild, it's just a wild, reading these numbers, is it's such a wild, uh, to, you know, trans, uh, a trans, uh, not transparency, but so it's so disparate. It's so different. It's, it's yeah. truly different. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it, it's a real sea change. Is well, that, and it's gonna change the things. The thing that mm -hmm. I think for me, when I read a report like this, what's so sort of shocking and telling about where things are going for us in entertainment, like this is the direction of where advertising is going to go now. This is the direction of where scripted programming is going to go because the people who ad people buy ads for are this group of people the gen z that this that that mm -hmm. sort of group of people in prime time and it's it's i wonder what the impact will be then on entertainment and on sort of like how we how shows are are there going to be more queer characters are there going to be more like sort of Pat, nor, not normal, but like general queer characters where they're not mm -hmm. defined by their queerness you know what i mean right. i feel like euphoria is probably already a good signifier of that happening Mm -hmm. That is a sexy show. 
I haven't even watched it. Every time I watch it, it's it's Euphoria Euphoria. on on HBO Max or HBO or whatever. And it's it's, it's a really, really good show. Zendaya is great on it. Like it's a great queer show, but it's also like part of half the time I'm watching it and I'm like, I'm uncomfortable because I'm like a grown man and I'm now turned on by these 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 euphoria show sexy times there were a couple of interesting findings from the study though they asked uh specifically the gen zers uh what did they think of alan's nails mm. and yeah. Yeah. 50 59 percent said they hate them which is oh, really wow. high shockingly high this is where i say fake news because <laughs> they're gonna love my nails they're glittery they're long So uh, the other take home that I thought was really compelling was they asked Gen Zers, how many of them have seen Elliot nude? And (laughs) shockingly, it was only 2%. That's insane. But then that number jumped up to 96% (laughs) with the demographic of 55 and older. So truly, I mean, this is, there's a huge generational difference there. Yeah. Wow. You're the Steve Kornacki of like making, making (laughs) blush. Elliot's meet and greets in the alley with his dick out. Oh my god. (laughs) These idioms get more and more gratuitous. Textual healing. We are joined today by a literal legend. Like, I know I talk big about a lot of our guests, but today's guest is actually, like, iconic. Lady Bunny! Hi, Lady Bunny! Hi, everyone. Hi. (laughs) It's kind of wild to, I mean, I don't want to, I know you like, you know, started drag with Jesus and stuff. So you've been doing this for like ever. And so I don't want to age you, but I have been a massive fan of yours since like, since I was a kid, since I was a little kid. Wait, but, but I'm new. (laughs) How could that be? Oh, proof of reincarnation. I've already learned something on this podcast. This is wonderful, guys. Did you turn in your drag race audition then since you're so new? Uh, Yeah, but I'll never be that new, honey. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us today. You have a new podcast with uh, another great famous drag queen, Monet Exchange, called Ebony and Irony. And you recently- Such a good name. It's such a good name, lady. It is such thank a Thank you. Name. I didn't come up with it, but thank you. <laughs> and you've had, I mean, it kind of blends like drag and pop culture and politics. And you recently had one of Sherry Pie's accusers on the 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 podcast, which is like I mean, that's yes. a big deal. I don't want to get his name wrong again. Danny Man, Man, Man Marandola. I thought it was Mandarola. Okay, I'm Southern. <laughs> in New York for 40 years, and almost still can't get the Italian names. Okay, um, we did, we did, and you know, I, I there had been a big kerfuffle about Sherry Pie reemerging to go on the Tamron Hall show, mm-hmm. and. Um, there was some crazy talk around that because for one thing, I mean, I believe in people's right to say Sherry must be stopped. She shouldn't go on that show. But um, I also don't believe in a in an online lynch mob taking away someone's chosen field of entertainment because that lynch mob may turn on me or you or anyone else. I mean, they're very, very fickle. Everyone was saying, oh, Eddie Izzard is, uh, is, is using the she, her pronouns and, you know, all of that. And then he said something nice about... Um, 
uh, J.K. Rowling, and they were done with them the next day. So yeah. sometimes there really is an off with your head mentality Absolutely. where I don't think we're we're taking much into account. So mm -hmm. what was fascinating about it is that um, uh, Danny kind of told us about some of the ways that Sherry was manipulative, mm -hmm. and um, that and and how she really you know like ran a game on him and yeah. deceived him along with many others and i was curious to know at what point do you uh press charges because then it's not the court of public opinion it's the actual court mm -hmm. um assuming that the, the and it also at what is there anything sherry can do to redeem herself at this and what did you i mean with sherry uh, that's a, that's always the interesting question for me is like you know, there's this movie called Rachel Getting Married, which I don't spoil, no spoiler alert, but like it's about someone who did something horrible trying to like rebuild their lives. And that's mm -hmm. always something that I wonder about. Like what good. conclusion on the podcast did you come to about Sherry rebuilding whatever she has left? Well, Danny, uh, her accuser, uh, wants her to go away and disappear. And a lot of other people said that, you know, Tamron shouldn't have given her a platform because she made the gay community look bad. Um, but I mean, we're, the gay community is represented a lot. So if there's a bad apple and that's the totality of our experience, then I don't think it's going to bring down the whole, you know, gay movement. Yeah. Um, so Danny wants to see her gone. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I, um, you know, that, that's why I think if there were, if there were charges, then that would really, you know, solidify the, the gripes. Yeah. That would solidify everything because the court would have gone over it. There would be an absence of hysteria, presumably. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, what Sherry did is dishonest and manipulative. Um, but it's also classified as catfishing the laws, mm -hmm. you know, since I guess catfishing is is new. Um, you know, it, it, it was very involved. He taped 800 um Audition tapes for Sherry's alleged casting agent friend who was going to get him jobs as a superhero if he did steroids, which she was paying for and paying for his time. So it was a very elaborate. Oh, wow. Thing. wow. Yeah. A hundred. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I got to ask him what is on a lot of people's mind, including mine. How do you do 800 of anything? Yeah. Without stopping and thinking, this is going nowhere. I didn't get the part. Is something wrong? Because, you know, you have to suspend yeah. your disbelief. And I've been on many auditions. No one's ever said, um, you know, God forbid, take steroids or, you know, mass 800 callbacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at, at, at that point, I would just say, wow, I've already spent over it. I mean, what's that like? Two, two and a half videos uh, uh, two and a half videos uh, uh, i don't know what that is yeah how many a year is 800 i don't know what would you do if you showed up at a show and cherry pie was on the show with you like what would you what would you say well i see i don't come from the generation where i have to agree with everybody who i work with and you know right. so I, I i don't have a mindset of oh i'm gonna tell every you know deplorable off because i would like for them to buy a ticket you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, right. I, I mean, I mean, that's all there is to it. You know, I mean, I, I'm pretty outspoken with 
political stuff, my own views. But at the end of the day, a part of a performer has to rely on if they're relying on ticket sales instead of guarantees. And you won't get any guarantees if everyone hates you. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, you have to rely somewhat on on what people, you know, think and 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 want. And, you know, we, we also on on. Ebony and I already talked about Gina Carano, who I'm not familiar mm. with, but it's just like she says something that people don't agree with and suddenly they're ganging up on her to make her lose her job. Why do you have to what yeah. there's there's an age age range difference because Monet says she thinks that she wants to have the whole parcel. She wants to 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 like someone's performance and she wants to know what they're about on social media so that she feels if she's giving him giving them uh, her dollar entertainment dollar, she's confident that she's not you know creating a monster. I'm able to compartmentalize it and say. Um, what Sherry did was wrong, but that number was fucking funny. Or what Gina Carano? I don't agree with Gina Carano to dispute the election, 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 uh, delusion uh, results. You know, in in and say that Biden didn't win because I think he did win. But I don't think that you should be fired because you said that. That's a disagreement. I mean, I don't yeah. think she's based on saying anything based on fact, but she does. Yeah, it's 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 such an interesting time because like I've noticed that the right is really making cancel culture a big part of their platform right now. I don't know if you've I don't know if you picked up on this, but like it's all, all over CPAC of them this weekend. Yeah, CPAC, but not just CPAC, mainstream regular Republicans. And I think, quite frankly, I think we're Democrats are and also like minded people are crazy not to not to understand that we've clearly gone a little crazy. Like mm -hmm. it's one thing to, to cancel someone who uses profoundly incendiary terminology and say, this person should be fired from their job because they represent a company and they said really awful things. And so they should be fired. That seems oh, acceptable. It's another to say, well, someone tweeted something bad once, therefore they shouldn't work again. Um, and she also like, but I think with Gina Carano, she also like, you know, chose publicly to, I think she posted something about comparing being a Republican now to being a Jew in the Holocaust. Mm. And well, she, she shared a post. She didn't yeah. write a post. And obviously you set yourself up when you mention uh, the Holocaust, because, you know, I it's don't not think a good punchline. Right, right. but, but she meant the persecution. And to be honest with you, Bette Midler is, you know, and other like blue check Hollywood celebrities, they do have a vendetta against Trump. Trump is gone. Democrats run the House and the Senate and, and the White House. So if you're still obsessing over Trump, you may have Trump derangement syndrome. And if you're never holding your party accountable for um, the mistakes they're doing, like not getting these stimulus checks out right away, like giving up on the $15 minimum wage. If you don't have anything to say except against Trump or Mitch McConnell or uh, Josh Hawley or whatever, even though my politics don't align with them at all, it comes across as a vendetta. I do want to ask you about another form of derangement, which, I mean, it sent me deranged, Wigstock over the years. Like, <laughs> Wigstock, the history of Wigstock and the documentary that came out, I think last year, was it last year it came out? I think so. Uh, um, wait, I think it was two years ago. Two years ago, yeah, that wig so on good. HBO. Wig on HBO. Wig. So on good. HBO. It was HBO. so good. Like, 
Wigstock is it was an insane cultural institution in New York City. How did it start? And like, or do you plan post pandemic to bring it back? And because I mean, we got to have a party for drag to return post pandemic. Do you have any plans to bring it back? Up to bring Wigstock back in its outdoor event, typically. So you know that would be good for coronavirus. Uh, you know, even as the vaccines hopefully kick in and do their, do their thing. So. It's going to rely on the money to do it. And uh, it's, um, you know, the last one we ended up having to charge a high cover charge. And that's Wigstock was always pretty freaky and, Mm. you know, raggedy. Mm. So that 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 didn't feel right. And I don't Mm. want to do that again. You don't want gentrified Wigstock. Right. I agree. Well, I mean, this is not the New York that I moved to, you know, 35 years ago. And this is not a place where performers can live uh you know and 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 be somebody's roommate for three hundred dollars as I could right yeah. right so <laughs> I mean what is that like that's something that 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 I think about you know you're a New York institution but can I mean how do queens or how do people artists in general afford to live in New York and work in New York anymore? Well I mean I think they double up you know or 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 live four or five to an apart small apartment. I mean you know, it's it's um, it's it's tough around here, and and the sad thing is, New York has been really hard hit by this. I was seeing something about how two thirds of the arts jobs have been lost. Mm, if you walk yeah. around, the only thing mainly left open are chains. Mm-hmm. A lot of places are hanging by a thread, so we don't exactly know when and if recovery is coming back, but then there's some hopeful people that are saying, Oh, well, the people who stayed will really love the New York vibe. They weren't just passing through because they saw sex in the city right? right. <laughs> and had a rich father and, you know, had to come and live with a roommate the way, you know, many people, um, if that's true, I'll be all for it. I mean, they, they point to the resurgence in the 80s after a dark and crime-ridden 70s where there was the white right. flight out to the suburbs to get away from a graffiti-covered New York. Yeah, mm-hmm. and in terms of, like, resurgence, too, I wonder what how, – how have you, um, you know, as a drag performer for so long who's so, you know, one of the forefront uh, – one of the – you know, uh, first to do so basically, and, and then so on such a large scale, like how has the mainstreaming of of drag as it sort of re-entered the, the like cultural lexicon again, how does that affect you as somebody who like start, you know, was it, you did it on your own is a DIY thing and made it yourself without necessarily some sort of big platform like Drag Race to get you there. How have you seen that change because of the reemergence of drag? Well, how do you compare the large chain available all over the world, McDonald's, to your mama's cooking? (laughs) I guess you don't. (laughs) I mean, um, everybody likes for me to talk about Drag Race because I I don't, I'm Rue's friend. I don't have ever watch. I mean, I see the little clips online and stuff, but... um, I see a lot of emphasis put on the look of drag, the makeup application and the the very stylized contouring and like go by the rote padding and whatever. And and, and I mean, it can be very predictable. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when I, I did watch a little bit of season 13 and 
the first two queens, the first one came on and just said, yes, queen, work. I can came to slay. And I'm like, oh my God, 13 seasons in? Is that all you got? I was like, this isn't, this isn't fresh at all. You know, so uh -huh. I, 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 um, it's, it's, it's an, it's a platform um, for Queens to make a lot of money mm -hmm. or it was before coronavirus. So I feel sorry that some of them have to, you know, create their trousseaus. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> only to not tour so that's 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 rough but you know it's funny because i'm friends with pageant queens all kinds of queens and you know, they say you, know, you would never come off the runway or do like your evening gown presentation or you know where whatever it was swimsuit or whatever and then perform that, that you just wouldn't do, do that and also you know in the the first part of season 13 that i saw there was like two queens lip syncing to call me maybe mm -hmm. now drag now it has a national international platform we're doing the tiredest i mean is is that is would you pay to see two queens or one queen lip syncing to call me maybe i mean is that taking drag and making it more or is that reducing it to to tired i think mm -hmm. it's tired yeah yeah i don't i don't even i don't sorry my question isn't to mean to compare you or include you in drag race i just mean it's so interesting to think about at least for people like like I was, I think in the in the '90s, drag reached this. I as a as a kid, I wasn't really aware of it until like the '90s with like wigs. Even like being like a kid in Long Island, like I had a a, a an idea of like wig stock, but also just like Tu Wong Fu and like this this moment. I just I I wonder. I just mean, how do you how do you navigate being? Well, there, such there, a, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, but there was a '90s drag boom and. Yeah. So hopefully this new boom won't end because for mm -hmm. a while there was Tu Wong Fu, Priscilla right. Queen of the Desert, mm -hmm. right, Paul's right, right. career took off, Wigstock, uh, right. Coco Peru and Girls Will Be Girls, Varla yeah. Merman, Vaginal Davis, a lot of you know great um, performers. But then Girls the Straits had been so good, so good. Evie has been doing from Girls Will Be Girls has been doing videos again. She's hilarious, mm -hmm. and. Um, so, oh, actually, I think there's going to be a a, a reboot of mm -hmm. Girls Will Be Birth. They've been asking for it for years. So that's yeah. fab. So, I mean, the, everyone was all about drag in the 90s, and then they got sick of it. Right. Yeah. So, right. I, I think... would, so maybe, maybe they won't get sick of it as much because now drag is, by being on the air so much with Drag Race, mm -hmm. it has earned, you know, the the people's, um, you know, prolonged respect. I, think I, would, I would also imagine that a lot of it has to do with you know, young people being so um, so open to queerness and like it becoming so mainstream in a way like, you know, it just feels like people uh, or younger people are like in the audience for drag has become bigger mm -hmm. and younger and probably less homophobic and more inclusive. Um, well, they may be more uh, less homophobic and more inclusive, but that doesn't mean that they aren't scummy and ignorant kind of people <laughs> who are... Yeah. who are sending death threats because there's a lot of dummies that watch oh my God, the show. Yeah. And, and that's why I say it's all based on looks now. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think that that well, is attracting the brightest ball, but it, it, it's like umpires 
these kids will, I mean, if one hair's out of place, they're like reading you on your Instagram and they're expecting everything, you know, to be flawless. Well, you know, most drag queens are not, don't have a, a, a Hollywood machine behind Budget. them. Yeah, the yeah. time that they have the Hollywood machine behind them is in their RuPaul's Drag Race profile pics. Yeah. Well, and what I will say, there is, there is something that I think what you personify so much. There's a video of you walking to a bar in the East Village, I think you were going to a gig, this is years ago, and you were, you had the hair and you were just oh, walking. Oh, I love this, I love this video. walking by yourself to the gig. And what I think that personifies is, just like in politics, everything is local. And if you go to someone who says they love drag race or they love drag and they can't name one or two local queens if they're in an urban area that they love, then they're not fans of drag. They're fans of a TV show about drag. And there's a difference. And I think, you personify that in a way that um, a lot of people need to remember that there are local queens just making a fucking living. Yeah, well, I mean, but Drag Race does enable them to to make a good living, you know, when the times are good and there's, they can tour. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes you have to wonder when you're seeing queens who on Drag Race who can't walk to a beat, mm -hmm. um, you never performed. You're, you're, you were not picked because of your you know, you had worked your way up to a certain level. You know, sometimes it looks like they're picked because they were cute boys. As Bianca Del Rio says about Pearl, if the best thing you can say about your drag is how good you look out of it. Um, it's like, mm. you know, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, that, you know, another thing Bianca said that I love is she said that some 14-year-old uh, from Ecuador tweeted her or something and said you know your eye makeup is too intense like i've been doing drag professionally for 25 years and you know what i'm surprised you haven't had electricity in your hut you know so it's like even somebody in their hut in ecuador thinks that they're a judge and you know they've often taken their their rules from um from judges who they don't know anything about drag what do they know about drag yeah. It's like, you know, uh, now one thing that I giggled with Monet about when we had Latrice on is everyone was up in arms over that Canadian drag race judge, Jeffrey Bauer Chapman. Honey, all he did is judge. What the fuck? You turned into a, a, a competition show with judges, judges, judge. I mean, mm -hmm. this is the so sometimes I see this real like babyish um, mentality and, you know, entitlement. Well, entitlement or you're just you're too young to ever go in clubs. You know, you don't really know how things work. I mean, you know, they're 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 getting, you know, eight, nine, ten year olds watching the show and to miss the gay subtext that's mm -hmm. going to be d diminished. Well, and I oh, Ellie, do you want to ask something? Yeah, I just, I just this is separate from that. But, you know, you're such an iconic figure in New York, too. And yet you still have your southern accent and. As though, as while you are, you have such a sharp wit, and you're, you know, you're, you personify that that wit so much. I wonder, like, do you still feel your southern roots, and do you still have that sort of southern girl quality? That, I mean, even while you have a very sharp tongue, you are very, you seem very like friendly and affable, and like the girl next door in a, in a way. And I hope that that is not an insult. But I wonder, like, how do, much do you do you live next to a pound? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I just wonder, like, you know, you're you've been in New York for so long and you, you, you know, you've worked in, in the like the nightlife. It's such an it's such a unique world to traverse and you've done it so 
you know, so uniquely. How do you stay the much girl of, next door? Yeah, like, is that is that still in you? Oh, totally, totally. I mean, you know, listen, I'm happy I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful place to grow up. I couldn't wait to get the fuck out of there. And, uh, you know, um, because, of course, there was, you know, all kinds of crazy small minds that I wanted to get away from. And as soon as I got my first taste of New York City, I knew this was home. Um, but Southern people are genuinely nice. Now, I, not in a voting booth, but they are genuinely nice people. And when they say you have a nice day, they actually mean it. Yeah. I want to ask you something about Chattanooga (laughs) lady. I, so, and this is just a personal, cause I am from Kirkwood, Missouri, but a good friend of mine and my old principal at my high school was Franklin McCauley of McCauley school in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Do you know anything about that? Oh, sure. That was a private school, not far from where we lived. My parents still live there. My parents still live in the house. Oh, Oh, wow. Amazing. My last question. What you're saying? Oh, my, you. amazing because she can't believe they're alive. <laughs> <laughs> if, 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 if I'm my age, is that what you're trying to say? No, that's not what he was trying. Don't to do say. it, Mama. I mean, I will. I will if you want. Uh, my last. It's implied. Question. It's implied. I mean, it's not implied because you cover it with a good old hefty bang. Um, my, my last question for so, you. So the camera is on. <laughs> is so. Like everyone knows you started, you know, you moved to New York, you were front, you grew up sort of with Rue in drag and you guys sort of grew up in the same scenes within drag. I want to know, Rue has become sort of untouchable in this sort of like mystical way of drag. And you do such a good job of making Rue real and like obtainable just because you you take her down left and right. So I want to know, like, is there something about Rue that we should know that would make her less perfect in our eyes? Well, she's fracking. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I I, I, I mean, and and, and the the, the worst thing is that, didn't they have a climate change ball on Drag Race one time? (laughs) I mean, it's like, wow. So either you care or you don't. Um, But uh, yeah. <laughs> what does that? What does a fracking situation actually require? Like, is that a thing? Is that does that require manpower? Yeah, it's a it's it's a way of getting natural gas where you uh-huh. pump water into the soil. It takes an enormous amount of water, and it's being well. I mean, you know, at the end of his second term, Obama bragged that we don't need to import oil for the first time because he had fracked so much. <laughs> so oh, wow. it's, it's, it's being pushed as like a, it's being pushed as a kinder way than old fashioned offshore drilling or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a cleaner fuel than coal, but um, they're going to start, listen, if the goal is to move away from fossil fuels, <laughs> then the goal is to move away from fossil yeah. fuels, not, not do, do them in a different way. But yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, the, the, the thing I think about Rue is that, you know, a lot of people are so into the show and good for Rue, good for World of Wonder, long time associates, good for the queens. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't don't buy what you see on TV. I mean, Rue does not run around trying to mentor everyone everywhere. That's his little, you know, uh, shtick from who is the guy from? Was it Project Runway? Santino. 
Oh, Tim, no. Tim Gunn. Tim Gunn. Yeah, I mean, he runs around and he checks on the girls. And the, the premise of the show is that they're trying to find the next uh, drag superstar who's going to be lip syncing to Call Me Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, lady, for doing this. We really, I mean, I, I would, we usually ask our guests, where can people follow you on the internet? But I think everyone listening pretty much knows yeah. where they can follow you on the internet. So thank you so much. And everyone listen to Ebony and Irony. It was, it was follow, a pleasure follow, to have follow, you. Lady Seven. Thank you so much, guys. Sorry I was late. Yeah. Thank no you. Worries. Sure. All thank right. you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks, lady. Bye-bye. And another thing. So this week, one of our favorite cities, or at least Brent and I's favorite cities, Washington, D.C., the oh, gay community it. there was just, I mean, texting up a storm with the latest gossip that was coming from one of their local anchors. Blake McCoy. How much of a local anchor name is that? Yeah, Still that is. News with Blake McCoy. Blake McCoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he tweeted. So I'll just read the tweet. I'm annoyed obese people of all ages get priority vaccine access before all essential workers. When most stayed home, we, we went into work every day last March, April, and May, every day since putting ourselves and loved ones at risk, vaccinate all essential workers, then obese people. <laughs> um, which, okay. So Blake McCoy is, was a, was, I should say now, because he was suspended for the, for that tweet and it caused a massive report. And I will say he did apologize. He deleted the tweet and apologized for it later on. But there is something about that tweet and the arrogance behind, Blake McCoy is a, a local LGBT sort of figure in DC. He's very, he's openly gay. And over mm -hmm. the past couple of months, he vacationed to Hawaii. Wasn't many masks on board there. He vacationed to lots of different, he went to New York City, he went to lots of different, <laughs> and he posted all of these things on, <sighs> Instagram yeah. and so the arrogance behind a him thinking of himself as an essential worker because he reports a script that someone else writes for him on at five o'clock o'clock at night. Um, he's not a genius. He's not a genius. <laughs> he's certainly not a genius. But it speaks to sort of that gaze over COVID arrogance that a lot of these insta gays, quote unquote, have when it comes to the response to the pandemic and how a lot of them are actually getting the vaccine now and they're finding ways to get the vaccine because of access and because of people that they know and all of these different things. And I wanted to know sort of, well, what you guys think about all of this. I mean, and about this whole I situation. looked it up and I was like, oh, of course he's gay. Of course he's gay. <laughs> yeah. Of course right. he would say the most horrendous thing about people's weight and it would be, of, co of course, like it, apparently like the DC gays are somehow meaner than WeHo and like Chelsea, <laughs> I whatever. I they're just as mean because there are, I mean, I will say a friend of the podcast, Jonathan, he's, he's my DC Judy. He, the DC gays are lovely people, mm. but they do have their own WeHo sector. And of they do go theater. by Jonathan as opposed to John, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just like, F what a fucking piece of shit. Like truly what a piece of shit. And then I saw that he apologized only because he was like, like Hold apologizing. <laughs> no, he apologized uh, as a way to like, I'm paraphrasing, but saying something along the lines of he he apologized in the way of saying he's doing it to like calm the internet so they don't go crazy on him. Yeah, not because he like actually felt bad. I, I yeah. this is like uh, I, you know of course not to beat a dead horse. I think I think it's ridiculous. I just I can't wrap my head around why people write shit like that. How do you yeah. not? How do you not? All you have to do to not get in trouble is to not, not write, write it crazy yeah. dumb shit 
and then not put it on the internet for thousands of people to see. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, but also to get to the, it's such a, it's such a cliche that I think the gay community kind of tends to beat up on people who are overweight. And yeah. so it's, I think a, you know, perfect encapsulation of like, yeah, the you know, sort of self-righteousness about body image, well, and uh, which yeah. I, you know, I fall into myself as, I mean, I don't like make fun of fat people, but like I fall into that myself sometimes. And, and it just and sort so of, it, it perpetuates this sort of like this sense of, and this is just in, even in the gay community, but it is something that people of plus sizes experience constantly. It's that the judgment of like, you did this to yourself. This isn't a problem. This isn't a disease. This isn't a premorbidity that, you know, they might have. This is a thing that they did to themselves, just like a drug user would or whatever. So they aren't worthy then of mm -hmm. the vaccine early or the things, even though it is proven, scientifically proven that people with who are at higher risk for prediabetes or asthma are often people who are obese. And lots of times people are obese for lots of different reasons, mm -hmm. you know, thyroid issues, et cetera. And that's why they get early access. That's the science behind it. It's not because they're special in some way. It's because they are right. at risk statistically of dying of this more so than someone like Blake McCoy who works out at the local CrossFit. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of inevitable when we started this whole process. I was like, how is this going to unfold with certain, just certain groups are gonna get access before other groups. And, you know, uh, obviously it started with older people um, and all of that makes sense. And, and, but I knew there was still gonna be, you know, lingering resentment yeah. in, in the society about like who gets it first and who gets to come, come out of this first and how dare they. And, yeah. and, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of pathetic. But with that said, I did hit over Christmas, I did hit on, a Detroit meteorologist, like a local news <laughs> meteorologist. Yeah. Remember, remember I sent that to you, Elliot? Yeah. For some reason I couldn't go hardcore and I think I, I DM'd him to say that his face was heavenly, which is such a bizarre yeah. thing oh to say. Oh my God, you did not. Elliot, so I remember creepy. I sent it to Elliot after <laughs> afterwards. He's like, did you, what did you just say to him? <laughs> wait, wait. So I do want to ask to on a, on a separate note from this, like, we talk a lot about sort of like, you know, these gay people sort of arrogantly doing these things, going on these vacations, and there's no repercussions that come to a lot of these people. And Blake McCoy did lose his job for the most part. I mean, he's suspended, but like, he's not working right now because of this. And he did get, quote unquote, canceled. Like, do you think that things are changing for the way, you know, the arrogance behind people like this and that maybe they are receiving sort of the treatment that they deserve for for saying things like this and doing things like this. I don't know if he needed to be fired, but suspend, I don't know. It's just, it's so lame. Like Brent said, like, why do you even feel the need to do this in the first place? Right. You read words off of a teleprompter for a living. Like right, your life is right. easy, yeah. you know? And, and to go and do this, it's like, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's it's just thoughtless and lame, but also I would be more comfortable if he got in trouble for traveling during a pandemic, being irresponsible, uh, publicly irresponsible about it, and not coming back and quarantining, which I'm going to guess that that was what he, that's just my guess, you know? Yeah, I think um, he did. He posted about having to do that after Hawaii and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. There's just something yeah. about that that feels so irresponsible to me, even if, even if the times aren't as dangerous as they were back during the holidays when he did travel, I still feel like there's such a lack of necessity in uh, like celebrating your traveling mid pandemic. I don't understand mm -hmm, it. Sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, as always, I kind of take a middle road where I think the suspension is reasonable. It's a pretty, it's a pretty shitty thing to say. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't think he should be fired. Um, just because I don't think people should be judged by the worst moment of their life. Um, And so I, I tend to just think, and I, I also think like when you, when you fire someone like that, you just kind of entrench both sides. Yeah. Um, so it kind of feeds, it feeds the beast even more. So are you going to DM him though and say he's heavenly? Well, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen enough of his pictures to decide whether I'm oh. willing to DM him to say that he's heavenly yet. You're going to add it to so your spank that's... bank. I think he might, well, I don't know if he's your type. He's definitely Elliot's type. I think he's, it's, no, he's, he's not. He's so, he's so bland. Yeah, he seemed bland from like that, but I didn't look at the. It doesn't look like he cries enough, so he's not my type. Mm. He just looks, yeah, he just looks like a very bland gay guy who is could just fits into any of the group pictures that you see. Nothing, you know, (laughs) completely indistinguishable from everybody else. I think someone should pay Brent and I to go to Washington D.C. just to take Mm. over the gay scene there. And Elliot, you're welcome too, but you don't love D.C. as much as we do, so we would, we would, we would definitely wait. Wait, so how would we do? How do we take it over? We would take it over. We would just redefine the gay community there and make them exactly what they were meant to be. I think you would just have like you would just like go to go to bars and read books about like moderate. Moderate yep. Democrats. I would have women. deep conversations with Doris Kearns Goodwin at the local gay yeah. bar in DC. You would have Claire McCaskill's biography at a, at a gay oh, bar. And you, I would die. What would your aunt say? What would your aunt Ramona say, Brent, after listening to today's podcast? Your uncle Hamilton was bi curious for two weeks in 1967. <laughs> Oh, yeah, my aunt uh, Joanne would say, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if one of your grandfathers was by for, uh, you know, five minutes. (laughs) How about Aunt Anne? Aunt Anne would also be moved by the Gen Z study, and she would say, well, I mean, I never thought I was a lesbian, but there was that one time Laura Bush wore that inaugural dress where I thought, (laughs) maybe, maybe. Well, thanks for listening. Oh, my God. It's a really funny dress. It's like she's fully covered. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm going to have to Google that now. It's a good one. I'm Elliot Glazer. I am Brent Sullivan. And I am First Lady Laura Bush. Oh, shut up.